Hello, and welcome to Talking Dirty at the Library, where we'll talk about what's growing here in Athens and Limestone County, Alabama. Each podcast features master gardener experts discussing ways we can cultivate better gardens and better lifestyles through local gardening and Limestone County Extension programs. Welcome to our podcast on native plants. My name is Emily Clem. I'm a master gardener, and a few years ago, I made the decision to specialize in native plants. So today, I'm going to try to convince you that native plants is the way the world is supposed to be, the way your backyard is supposed to be. Uh, my cohort this morning is Chris Paysinger. I will let him introduce himself. Hey, I'm Chris Paysinger. I teach history for Athens City Schools. Um, love everything old, and I don't think there's anything older than native plants. So I'm looking forward to learning a little bit this morning. Okay, first of all, Chris, it's quiz time. <laughs> hey, I, I'm used to giving the test. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> this time you're on the other side. All right, perfect. So, is it native, yes or no? Okay. Blueberries? Yes. Blackberries? Yes. Strawberries? Yes. No. Oh, <laughs> European? Maybe. I think so. Maybe. Um, I'm not North sure. North Africa? Yeah, but a different continent. Yeah, okay. yeah. Coneflower? No. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Vinca? No. Azaleas? No. But there are native There are azaleas. native azaleas. Yes, yeah. and they are gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> holly? Yes. Both. Okay. Yeah. That old Burford holly I had planted along my foundation mm. for 20 years? No. Yeah. But you probably have an American holly in your yard, yeah, I think. Yeah, I do. Uh, winterberry? Mm-hmm. Yopon, those are native plants. Yeah. Uh, butterfly bush. No. No, right. Uh, they are still fascinating because butterflies and insects love them, but mm-hmm. they are not native and sometimes a little more aggressive than we want them to be. Hmm. Daylilies. No. Oak tree. Yes. Olives. Probably not. Probably right. <laughs> she led me on that one. <laughs> yes. Uh, that sawtooth oak mm-hmm. that has been quite popular. Yeah. It is not native. I'm mm. not sure where it comes from, but I'm pretty sure it's a different continent. Is that the one that drops a million? Oh, those really interesting mm-hmm. acorns. Yeah. Interesting to us, but possibly not to our native wildlife. Hmm. Privet. No. No, definitely not. Nandina. No. Right, and you might want to listen to the Invasive Plant Podcast to learn more about those things. Sunflowers? No. Yes. Ah. Honeysuckle? No. Actually, there's some of both. Okay. Yeah, the coral honeysuckle is native. Dogwood? Yes. Black-eyed Susans? No. Yes. (laughs) I'm overthinking this now. Yeah, you probably are. Red bud? Yes. Red maple? Yes. Sugar maple? No. Yes. Is it really? Silver maple? No. Yes. (laughs) Bermuda grass? No. No. No turf grass. Uh, Petunia? No. Hydrangeas? Some. Some of both, right. Your oak leaf and your smooth or wild Annabelle Mm -hmm. hydrangea is. Yeah. Magnolia? Some. Yeah, I think all. Are they? Uh, okay. Well, unless you, you have that tulip magnolia, yeah. that Japanese mm-hmm. magnolia that is not. Yeah. Hosta. No. Bradford pear. Ugh. 
Yeah. <laughs> Enough said. Yeah. Crepe myrtle. Uh, no. Cherry trees. No. It, there are black Some. cherries, native okay. cherries, but if it says Yoshina cherry, mm. if it's a Japanese word in front of it, yeah. then it's probably <laughs> from Japan. Zinnias. No. No. Roses. No. No. Yeah. Um, there is really no rose that is native that you would want to grow in your backyard. Yeah. And, of course, there are some roses that are very invasive. Mm-hmm. And there's so much trouble. <laughs> okay. I am going to talk about 10 reasons that you would want to grow native plants. The first one is they're simply easier to grow. They're better adapted. They've been here for years and years. They've adapted to our hot summers, sometimes dry summers. Um, it's just your your um, the work is less. More so, disease resistant. Are you yeah. going to touch on that one? Too? Yeah, more yeah. more re- disease resistant. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, part of the food chain. Mm-hmm. That's another point. What do you know about food chains, Chris? <laughs> um, that there are some things in your yard that deer love, and and there are things that they won't touch. Um, so sometimes I know that's probably when people go to Lowe's, that's probably what they have in mind is trying to find something that's, I see it even on the tags, deer resistant. And so people yeah. probably are looking for the path of least resistance with some of those things, but it's probably still the wrong plan ultimately. And what else eats our plants besides deer? Bugs. Bugs. Yeah. Yeah. But what eats the bugs? Birds. Birds. You see the food chain? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, ask a fifth grader because they learn about food chains in the fifth mm-hmm. grade. So if you are, you want to encourage birds in your yard, mm-hmm. then you better give them some bugs to eat. Yeah. Besides mosquitoes, which is what I have in my yard. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's some birds that eat mosquitoes too, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, bats also. Yeah. Possum. I've heard possums mm. eat mosquitoes, but um, but still, native plants are going to encourage native insects, which encourage native birds. Mm. Now, what about non-native insects mm-hmm. like Japanese beetle? Oh yeah. <laughs> when we've had those big outbreaks of Japanese beetles, what have they liked to eat? In yeah. my yard, it was crepe myrtle. Yeah, the, the stuff that's not naturally there. Not naturally there anyway. Yeah. Um, I do have caterpillars that will eat Mm -hmm. some of my plants, and those caterpillars turn into butterflies later, and you know what? The plants grow back. Mm -hmm. It's a balance. It's a balanced thing. I wrote down fewer weeds. Hmm. I put with it a picture of a violet. Yeah. I could spend the rest of my life pulling up violets in Mm -hmm. my yard, or Mm -hmm. I could just decide they're not weeds. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of that goes back to design, too. You know, a lot of uh, current homes and the designs on the the small lots lend themselves to people wanting this very clean look. And I think ultimately, I think that's a problem with um, with what you find as, as native species. I think I told you one time we went to Gettysburg National Battlefield, and there was this beautiful, beautiful new building that fit into the landscape. It looked like a giant red barn, and that was the new visitor center. But the landscape design were all native plants, and it was designed to basically camouflage the parking lot. 
and it was beautiful. It fit uh-huh. into the, the landscape design of the park, but we don't do that here. We put yopons and crepe myrtles, and we fill it up with mulch and dead space versus filling it up with plants that then ultimately mitigate the weed problem. And if weeds right. do grow, you can't tell it. Another place I have seen that is in Houston at the uh, Bush Presidential Library. Oh, yeah. No, that's in Dallas. Sorry, Dallas, mm-hmm. not Houston. Yeah. Downtown Dallas with all these big buildings, but the landscaping is native plants. Yeah. And so you have these lovely native prairie-looking plants against the high-rise buildings. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. I wish someone would design a uh, neighborhood that kind of the houses reflected more of a natural design anyway and then you would have perhaps a more native species being used Um, but again we like our mulch and our dead space and we want it to look clean and if there's one leaf we bomb it with roundup or some other uh, uh, pesticide insecticides and all these things to get ultimately rid of the native plants that may be trying to grow there and the native look yeah and so that brings up my next point okay perfect segue (laughs) it requires a paradigm shift in the way you see the world yeah do we really think the world is supposed to look like a golf course (laughs) no yeah and it is um the diversity of the native landscape Mm -hmm. but you have to give up the idea that you're going to have rows of things. Mm-hmm. Does nature come in rows? <laughs> no. 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 Um, I also wrote down, it is not your grandmother's garden. Mm-hmm. I look at what's at my grandmother's house. Mm-hmm. Obviously, she also belonged to a garden club mm-hmm. <laughs> and came home and planted whatever the garden club talked about that day. Yeah. Um, so there are non-native plants, mm-hmm. spirea, um, which I still think is really pretty, <laughs> but, and camellias, again, are Alabama mm-hmm. state flower, sure. but it's not a native. Yeah. Uh, but yes, we have done this for years and years and years. We have yeah. invited in those exotic plants because we liked them. They were exotic. Well, just preparing for today, I was kind of thinking about the, um, the method of distribution in your grandmother's era versus today. And of course, these big box retailers that sell plants, ultimately what they're doing is buying the most efficient, cheapest thing that they can buy, not really what's gonna thrive in your your garden. Yes. And so, you know, our grandmothers shared plants. They were heirlooms, they were passed down, they were divided, they were brought in the root cellar during the winters so that they survived, and, you know, we've gotten away from that to the point of it's a throwaway plant society, and it's all about the distribution and, and the big box retailer being able to make the most money. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of people unwittingly go in there on Saturday mornings to get plants in the spring not knowing or not thinking about these are really not plants that should exist in Athens, Alabama. These are plants that someone in a, a corporate office somewhere very far away made the decision to buy probably because they can make the most money off of them. And so that makes us uh, so open to advertising, just yeah. like everything else. Yeah. Um, and, and I think gardening is a way of expressing yourself. Mm-hmm. Be sure it's yourself and yeah. not that corporate mm-hmm. big box yeah. um, advertiser. Yeah. Another point, turf grass is just not important. 
We spend gobs of money. There is a whole industry, of course, yeah. behind turf grass. And I, I don't want to say that it's, you know, the most evil thing in the world because <laughs> it's not. Chinese privet and Bradford pears are the most <laughs> awful thing in the world. But um, think of where you want your turf grass. Use yeah. it sparingly. Mm-hmm. Again, design a room yeah. with turf grass as the carpet. Mm-hmm. But, and this is something really hard for me, they say the best thing you can do for pollinators is um, mow your grass every two weeks instead of every week. Mm-hmm. Can't quite do that. Yeah, true. <laughs> every two weeks um, in July mm-hmm. is is not realistic here. We, but We just got back from New Orleans yesterday, and one of the things that I found interesting were their city parks versus maybe the city parks in Athens, Alabama. And one thing that was really unique to me was the lack of open space because you're in a large city. But what they did is they created rooms and every park was very full and it was full of probably some non-native species, but probably a lot of plants were natives and they just let it go wild and it had such a good look, but they didn't put the emphasis on grass in a lot of those places. Right. So lose the grass. Absolutely. Um, Unless it's clover, which is what's in my yard. Well, and clover's nice. Clover's a great part of the food chain. Yeah, it is. I've seen it in Philadelphia and some of their parks. Um, I saw a whole lot more monarch butterflies in July. (laughs) Maybe, yeah, it's July. Mm -hmm. In Philadelphia, where they were just feeding off the the native plants there. Hmm. Um, Another thing you see about native plants... Multi-season interest, mm-hmm. flowers in the spring, fruit later in mm-hmm. the summer, and then in the fall you have leaf color. Yeah, uh, and a lot of those things that they want us to buy, they don't have that multi-season interest. Mm-hmm. You enjoy it for a couple of months and it's gone. Yeah. Well, and you know, even like with hydrangeas, I love the deadheads on hydrangeas during the winter. I think it gives you just some architectural detail around a house, especially if they're kind of in mass. And texture. Yeah. The texture of grasses. Mm-hmm. I have switchgrass next to my house, mm-hmm. and I leave it all winter. I cut it off in like February and let it grow back. Yeah. But I like the texture yeah, I do too. Of, of that tall, dead, but mm-hmm. interesting yeah. grass. So when you, when you think of multi-season interest, Yes, a lot of our non-natives do that for us, too. Mm-hmm. We, we readily admit that. But uh, if you just want to plant petunias and marigolds, mm-hmm. they are there for a very short time. Yeah. I think a lot of that also has to do with the lifestyle that people choose now, in which a lot of people, it's easy to get up and go to work, pull your car in the garage, go in, and your, your real interaction with your outdoors is, you know, the three seconds it takes you to back out of your driveway the reality is so many of these non-native plants, really, they smell like cabbage and they're ugly. And the reality is, is if you did use some of those native plants, I, I think you would have a more enjoyable experience outdoors if you did choose to have porch time or whatever. But, you know, a knockout rose really brings you very little except a little bit of color at certain times. And that's about it. Whereas a uh, native plant, for instance, um, Mountain mint is one of my favorites. Yeah. It's a mint that grows about hip high. Yeah. It dies back, so it's not there in the winter. Mm-hmm. 
but it comes out, it begins to grow up early in the spring, and the smell is lovely. Yeah. To walk by it and just brush it, you mm-hmm. get this beautiful spearmint <laughs> smell, and then the flowers and the pollinators. The mint, to me, when it's full of those buzzy things, mm-hmm. it's like the difference in a photograph in a movie. Yeah. yeah I made the mistake one time of uh, planting knockout roses, and they were ugly. Uh, you know, the leaves turn black. They may bloom for a little while, but they, they don't last very long. And again, you get very little from them outside of just the, the ability to drive by and see a little bit of pink. And that's about it. And they require care. They do. Yeah. Let's see. I think I'm up to number nine. And this is a very simple rule. You're going with nature instead of against it. Yeah. And so your results. Well, and increasingly, you know, we, I think the, the climate change that is happening Mm-hmm. where you do have more prolonged droughts. Um, you know, if you don't have an irrigation system, et cetera, uh, those plants are just going to hold up better to some of these more extreme situations that we at least seem to have from a weather perspective. Mm-hmm. Number 10 is biodiversity. Mm-hmm. Here are a few numbers for you. 54% of the lower 48 is in cities and suburbs. Hmm. Wow. Highlight suburbs there. 41% is agriculture. That leaves 5%, 54 and 41, that's 95. 95% of nature is no longer natural, leaving 5% to be in parks and national forests and stuff like hmm. that. Wow. Those numbers are staggering. <laughs> that is. Okay, the key there, suburbs. Mm-hmm. Turn our suburbs into something natural yeah. instead of something artificial. Well, and again, it comes back to a design perspective, and I think there are ways where we could do those kinds of things. It's just that I think developers have to see that ultimately there's a desire from the public, and it's really probably not going to cost them any more to, to build and design based on the parameters of that. Mm-hmm. But I think you've got to be intentional about it, and I think even uh, city planners have to really be thoughtful about that process because ultimately, you know, if a developer has a cookie cutter model, they're not going to break it unless they're asked to. Yes, that's just, that's just business. That's just business. Yeah. Um, we need to ask ourselves, do the plants we use serve an ecological purpose? Do they feed insects? Are they nectar for pollinators? And that can be a whole nother podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Are they berries for birds? Mm-hmm. So, I did want to say that um, we we seem to have slammed our big box stores yeah, a little bit. a little bit. And yet we know that's where many of us go. Mm-hmm. So I drifted through Lowe's the other day just <laughs> to see what they had yeah. that was native. They had lots of native trees. Mm-hmm. Weeping willow, red maple, red bud, red oak. The, uh, they had blueberries. They had dogwoods. They had magnolia. Mm-hmm. They had yopon. Uh, hollies. They had stonecrop, which is a native cedar. Yeah. Um, hookera, also known as coral bells. Uh, Carolina jasmine. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a vine in your <laughs> landscape, get you some Carolina jasmine. Mm-hmm. It's blooming right now. They had blackberries. They had muscadine grapes. They had um, columbine, a lovely, mm-hmm. lovely wildflower. Yeah. They had phlox, coreopsis, bee balm. 
Uh, by the way, the bee balm was in with the herbs instead of in with the flowers, but it's a beautiful flower, smells great. Hmm. Really, the pollinators love it. So uh, I wanted, wanted you to know that those things are available. They are. You just have to walk past. Well, and so many of those others. plants like that you just named, they're not in full bloom sometimes at these big box retailers. You have to get them home. So it's so easy, I think, to go out and say, I need a pop of yellow right here, right now. And so I think that's why a lot of people buy it's that impulse. It's pretty at the moment versus it being a process. And I think that's mm-hmm. what native plants oftentimes are. Yes, a process, yeah. a fun process. But a fun process. Yes. Um, before we leave, I want to plug the native plant sale coming up, the Master Gardeners. We will have some native plants there. It won't be all native plants, but we will definitely have a section of native plants. And you'll have experts there that can tell you about them. Exactly. That's even better. Yes. Um, you can also get that at the Botanical Gardens. Mm-hmm. Both Huntsville Birmingham have groups that, that just love their native plants and love nothing better than to share them. Um, also, the library garden that is being built, that is in the finally the last stages of being built, will be a demonstration garden of native plants. Um, and you don't have to you don't have to go for a hundred percent. I still have my peonies. Yeah. I still mm-hmm. have the prettiest tulip tree in Limestone County. Sure. I'm telling you, I've yeah. got a gorgeous deep purple <laughs> tulip tree. Um, I also want to call your attention to a few books that are here at the library. We have um, what is kind of the Bible of native plant philosophy. It's called Bringing Nature Home. It's by Doug Tallamy, who is an entomologist in Delaware of all places. But he has a book, Bringing Nature Home. It's just, it's an easy read. And when you finish it, you go, yes, got to do this. Um, another book that um, I have just about worn out, Native Plants of the Southeast, A Comprehensive Guide to the Best 460 Species for the Garden. Hmm. So this man makes it easy. It's Larry Mellencamp. I believe he's from somewhere in North Carolina. But he makes it easy. He uses the star system. So if it's a, not a good plant for your yard, he only gives it one or two stars. Hmm but three or four stars, and he tells you why you want this plant and the best way to use it. So, thank you for listening to our conversation today. Thank you, Chris, for joining me. Hey, I enjoyed it. I know, I know to go to the plant sale coming up. Did I say the day? No. May the 1st. <laughs> May the 1st. May Perfect. the 1st. At the uh, Master Gardener's Greenhouse behind, I want to call it the high school, but it's the middle school now. On Highway 31. On Highway 31. And also, it's open. If you catch somebody, they are working. They'll sell you a plant. So if you don't want to wait till May 1st, buzz by there and see if there's someone there. So we have some people that are really working hard at that greenhouse. Thank you for joining us today. And we'll say goodbye. Goodbye. You've been listening to Talking Dirty at the Library, a podcast produced by the Athens-Limestone County Public Library in Athens, Alabama. This podcast is produced in cooperation with the Limestone County Extension Office and Master Gardener Program. Join us next time to see where we're growing. And to hear other recordings from our Library Voices podcast series, please visit the Athens-Limestone County Library website at alcpl.org.